Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Bulger Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is the goddamn legend, George Wallace. George Wallace, who was born Henry Wallace, but changed his name for SAG reasons, started in comedy the same day, literally the same day in the late 1970s as his future best friend, Jerry Seinfeld. You know, like Jerry, George just has a joke writer's mind. They sort of go through the world like like a Terminator and like everything they see just sort of gets filtered through as a joke. It must be very frustrating as a way of living, but it is the reason why they're able to be so prolific. So George never wanted a sitcom of his own, but but just like Jerry, he did find a way to remain relevant for nearly 50 years, which is unbelievable when you think about it. For a while, he was one of the country's most in-demand stand-ups. But more recently, George has found a new audience on Twitter because, at least in my opinion, it is the best Twitter feed to follow. It's hard to describe why he just, while everyone else is just sort of screaming about whatever the thing to scream about is that day, he is like consistently so silly and so a world on his own that like every tweet you see from him is like a breath of fresh air. And literally, if you aren't even on Twitter, you should just periodically just go in and check his tweets. It rules. For today's episode, I asked George to send me a joke, you know, like I always do. And in response, his teen sent me a really long supercut of him doing a variety of jokes under one theme, one catchphrase, which was stupid stuff. Uh, George, throughout his career, has had a variety of catchphrases. I be thinking is probably his most well-known. And he'll have these frames and he'll just sort of write like hundreds of jokes that fit under it that he can sort of feed in and out depending on how the audience is responding, depending on what context he's in. And so it's important to note that the clips are all from different shows and in different venues is that that is something we talk about a lot in the interview to explain the the first clip is from 2016, an appearance he did at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, which is the comedy industry's biggest event every normal year. The next one was filmed in 2014 as he was wrapping up his historic 10-year run at the Flamingo in Las Vegas, which at the time earned him the, the nickname of the new Mr. Vegas. Then it's Wallace in 2011, appearing at a Support the Troops event for the WWE. Then 2010, which was Wallace on Craig Ferguson. Then we go all the way back to Wallace's 1992 appearance on Def Comedy Jam, followed lastly by Wallace's 1991 HBO One Night Stand special. You know, on display is how a master works a joke. You know, it's 
it's like really a matter of having just a huge repertoire. I've I've heard George say that he essentially has like five, six hours worth of jokes and he just decides what to tell based on how the night's going. And that is what the comedians of his generations were trained to do, which is just write jokes over and over again about as many things as possible. And there are few comedians ever who were as good at it as George is. So here is George Wallace. If you can't laugh in this city, you can't laugh anywhere. Did you know that? People just say stupid stuff here. I'm walking, lady just ran in and said, it's raining outside. Duh. <laughs> what the hell else would it be raining? People just say stupid stuff. I'm walking the street, man said, Mr. Wallace, you in town? There's something wrong with you people in Montreal. I just walked down the street right out front. They're now opening a brand new Ethiopian restaurant. A brand new Ethiopian restaurant. Now, personally, y'all, I didn't even know they had food in Ethiopia, okay? <laughs> I didn't even... I'm thinking, what little food they got? They're bringing it over here? <laughs> Take that food back over there and give it to the people that need it. People saying stupid stuff in Montreal. Someone asked me today, what do you think of gay marriage? The hell, I live at 1602 Chestnut Street. If it ain't happening in my house, it ain't my damn business, all right? That's how I feel about it. People from Las Vegas, raise your hands right now. Keep them up. Keep them up. Oh, my God. Keep them up. Keep them up. God bless you. Keep them up. Everybody got your hands up. Y'all look at these people with the hands up. Look at them. They're all crazy. Look at them. There's something wrong with the people that live in Las Vegas. I don't know what it is. It's just do stuff. They say stupid stuff. And they do. I think it's the heat that's making the brain. It's too hot here. What was, I didn't go outside today. What was the temperature? 70, something like that, 80? Y'all come back in August. 115 degrees at midnight. But with the wind chill factor, it dropped down to 108. But the people that live here, they say stupid shit and do stupid shit. Like I'm walking to the airport with my luggage. With my luggage, the lady, Mr. Wallace, what you doing at the airport? You going somewhere? Just stupid shit. I told her, no, I come here to do my laundry. There's something wrong with these people that live here. They just do stupid stuff and say stupid stuff. People in Las Vegas, raise your hands one more time. Put your hands up in there. Don't y'all got a place here called a 24-hour fitness center? With a little sign underneath it, open 6 a.m. to midnight. Why y'all do stupid shit like that? I'm going to the 7-Eleven. I'm the only customer in the store. Nobody but me. Cashier, you next? I'm looking around, what the hell? And I'm in the 7-Eleven, I had a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, a loaf of bread, three bananas, six Coca-Colas, a Wall Street Journal, honey bun, moon pie, and three bags of pork rinds. Cashier, you want a bag? I said, no, I want you to help me tote this shit out to the car. There's something wrong with the people. The people here, they say stupid stuff and they do stupid stuff. Las Vegas, raise your hands one more time. Put your hands in there. You see what I'm trying to tell you? Look how stupid they are. I just saw them stupid right in the face. We're still stupid. We're going to be stupid for another 15 minutes. They just do stupid stuff here. They say stupid stuff. I called Delta Airlines the other day. I said, I need a flight to Atlanta around noon. The lady says, that 12 noon? I said, no, there's two noon. You're stupid heifer. They just say stupid stuff here. There's something wrong with these people. A man over in Henderson told me last week, you know, Mr. Wallace, I met Red Fox before he died. Mm. Oh, this is a good crowd in here tonight. Y'all got it. 
Y'all got it. He met Red Fox. Everybody that met Red Fox met him before he died. And the people are nosy in Las Vegas too. Why are the people so nosy here? They just nosy. You can be in your driveway washing your own car. Neighbors in Las Vegas pull into their driveway, get out of the car. What do they say? When you finish yours, you can do mine. You got it. Listen. You can be on a ladder across the street painting your house. Hey! When you finish yours, you can do it. Next week, I'm going to walk into my neighbor and his wife having sex. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm going to say to her. Hey! When you finish his, you can do mine. There's so many people that need to ask it. Like, you think about it, shoe salesman need to ask it. You ever go to a shoe store, you tell the salesperson, I like to see that shoe in size 12. They go in the back, they come back, we got an 11. <laughs> These people need your ass kicked. So many people need to, you ever go to a fast food restaurant and a drive-thru, you go to the PA system, you order a hamburger, and the idiot on the other end, you want cheese on that? <laughs> Did I order a cheeseburger? I ordered a, and I want ham on it. And say some stupid stuff. Jerry Lawler told me he's gonna build him a new house and he's gonna build it from the ground up. I don't want to embarrass him in front of everybody, but I had to tell him, you know, Jerry, that'd probably be the best way to start building that house. You start with the roof and the chimney, you're gonna run into some trouble. I'm so happy. You know what? Crazy things are happening to me. I'm walking to the airport. Why do people say stupid stuff in the airport? I'm walking to the airport, a man says to me, My wife's gonna die when I tell her I saw you. I said, Well, don't tell her. Just stupid stuff. I'm on the airplane, a man sitting next to me. You going all the way? I said, I hope like hell I'm going all the way. I didn't buy no halfway ticket. Why don't people say stupid stuff? Then I'm standing there waiting for my luggage. A lady come up, Mr. Wallace, you mighty quiet today. I said, well, hell, I'm standing here by myself. What the hell you want from me? Anybody got a crazy uncle that will ask you a question and answer it at the same time? How y'all get up here, walk? But your mama sitting you up here for some sugar? How come it's so hot in here? Y'all got the heat on? What color y'all paint this room? Blue? Who preaching Sunday? Reverend Johnson? It's crazy in this side. Why do people say stupid things? Somebody said to me last night, I got something exactly like that, only it's different. Somebody said life isn't fair, like death is going to give you some great advantage. We grew up all our lives hearing the phrase, the grass is always greener. You ever turn grass over? People can say some stupid things. My girlfriend called me the other day, she says, I'm beating my head against the wall for you. I said, well, don't do that. That's why you're so stupid. And people are saying stupid things all over the world. Two guys walking here tonight, one guy said to the other guy, it makes you feel like you've been hit by a Mack truck. Now, who do we know that can tell us how it feels to be hit by a Mack truck? And why is it always a Mack truck? I think a Ford Ranger would do a real good job on you. People say stupid things. Never kick a man when he's down. Can you tell me a better time to kick a man? Your foot is just that much closer to his death. I mean, the Chicago Tribune, they said a man was in the hospital. He had an unexpected heart attack. 
unexpected. As opposed to what? Hey, Bob, how about a round of golf? Uh, okay. But uh, we're going to have to get it in before 11.30. Because I'm expecting that heart attack to hit me around noontime. People say stupid things. A man died on an airplane not too long ago. They said he died an untimely death. When is a good time to die? I want to hear something on the news like, Senator Jesse Helms died today and it's about goddamn time. People can say some stupid things. Now let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we say stupid things. We grew up hearing stupid things. Our parents said stupid things. You get old enough to stay at home by yourself, your parents go away on vacation, they call back, they ask you stupid questions like, how's the house? I used to tell them, oh, the house, uh, the house has been sick. House throwing up, junk's everywhere. I'm having a garage sale. My mother could say stupid things. This is the last time I'm going to tell you to take that garbage out. Well, thank God. And my mother could say she wouldn't lighten up. She was a big lady, too, in Georgia. She was a big lady. They said she was stout. Stout. That meant she was stuck. I've been in department stores as a kid. I saw things I wanted, I wanted, I wanted. Boy, do I look like a bank. <laughs> My mother could say some stupid things. I'd do something wrong. She said things didn't even make sense. You go up to your room and you stay there until you learn how to act. I'm in my room for three hours. To be or not to be. That is the question. All right, I got my act together. I'm going back downstairs. Young man, did you learn to act? To be? Oh. We got Mr. Funny Man here, huh? Yeah, we have a comedian in the house. You just wait till your father gets home. And I'm going, what the hell does he know about acting? And my father could say stupid things. Kids in the back of the car raising hell like kids do. My father would turn around and rip off the greatest cliche ever made in a car. Now don't let me have to come back there. <laughs> we used to say, well, pull the car over you, Mr. Badass. Come on, come on back here. You ain't been back here in a long time, Papa. Come on. We got some fire back here. Come on, Papa. I'll wait till you get off the bridge. Come on, come on, come on. Call my doctor, talk to his receptionist, said, I'd like to speak to Dr. Davis. She says, may I tell him who's calling? I said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you must know it all. Go ahead and tell him who's calling. Uh, and, and tell him why I'm calling, too. Matter of fact, why don't you let him use that rubber glove on you? People can say some stupid things. Ask another friend a question. His answer to my question was, oh, you know, six on one hand, half a dozen on the other. I wanted to hit him so bad. Just to let him know there's 
five on this hand and half a ten on this one. Who comes up with these phrases? Six on one hand, half a dozen on the other. What's good for the goose? If you can't stand the heat, who comes up with these phrases? I was driving here tonight, I was thinking about the phrase, screw you and the horse you rode in here on. But I thought about it, I said, oh, this must be the first guy Paul Revere woke up. People can say some stupid things. When in the Kentucky Fried Chicken, all the three buckets of chicken, 24 pieces in each bucket, the lady says, is that for here to go? I said, yes, it's for here, and you've got to stay here until I eat the last piece, you little witch. Walk in the doctor's office, what does the nurse say? Are you here to see the doctor? No, let him here to twist your boots. Of course I'm here to see the doctor, just ate three buckets of chicken, what the hell you want from me? Went in the doctor's office, had a checkup, doctor had fingers down my throat, fingers up my butt. Hell, I thought he was going to shake hands, I did. And it felt like six on one hand and half a dozen on the So I'm here with the one and only, the legendary George Wallace. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. Good evening, good afternoon, everybody. This is Dr. George Wallace, live from Wakanda. Wakanda. Well, actually, Atlanta, but we call it Wakanda because there are so many black people here in Atlanta that we tend to stick with the script. Got it. Black Panther. Uh, so I want to talk about your comedy and your your joke writing and your the stupid stuff variety of jokes. But I want to start uh, a little bit from the beginning, which is you started in stand-up in the sort of mid-late 70s in New York City. I believe you started outperforming as a character, the right reverend Dr. George Wallace, yes. uh, who was a Southern preacher who I believe you sort of improvised. How did you eventually land on your more joke-heavy stand-up style, opposed to, you know, like storytelling or doing characters? How did you land on the style that you became known for? When you start comedy, of course, you've had uh, your, your favorite comedian, which I started off back. Red Skelton is why I'm in the business. <laughs> Red Skelton, Red Fox, Red Buttons, Pinky Lee, all people of color. All people, listen. And so I didn't know how to become a comedian when you're first starting out, uh, even about originality. So mm -hmm. I just wanted, I went to a little comedy school and they said, what did you do when you were young? And I, and I always made fun of the preacher. So this guy instructor said, well, that's what you should become. Make fun of the preacher. So I put like an idiot, I put on, it was good too. I put yeah. on a robe, I had a big robe and had a, a Jewish high, like a, you know, a cross high, had all yeah. of that stuff on. And I had, you're not old enough to remember this, but back in the day, in the late 70s, we had uh, a telephone book, a Yellow Pages, that mm -hmm. thick in Manhattan, that thick it was called. And so that was my Bible, and I called it the Good Book of Bell, the mm -hmm. Good Book of Bell, whatever you need. Look it up in the book. You want some shoes? Look it up in the book. We got it by sectorman. We got it to look it up in the book. And so that would be my Bible. And I'd do some stupid stuff like that. I'd walk in the room, have everybody singing, oh, when the saints go marching in. And at the time, in all of the comedy clubs, we had an orchestra on stage. Mm -hmm. So Catch a Riding Star, the comic strip, the improv, we all had an orchestra, well, three-piece band. And they would play the music, and the house would go all crazy. When you were coming up 
um, with many future legendary comedians in, in the late 70s in New York and L.A., was your style in line with other people were doing? Did you feel like you stood out in the, in the nature of what your jokes were like? No, I didn't have a style. You don't have a style. You don't even know who you are until after seven years of comedy. I was going on stage uh, in the late 70s with uh, just trying to learn how to write jokes. You're just trying to get a joke to go over, let alone your personality. When you have your point of view, that's usually after about seven years when you start saying what you think. Here's what I think. And forget about but before I was going on stage, you start with a joke, joke one, joke two, joke three, and just finish. Then uh, about the sixth, seventh year, you start going, well, well, I don't give a shit. So now you start putting your point of view in. So that's me now. It's I can honestly tell you, Jesse, that what I did 10 years ago, I'm a different person today. Yeah. Because I've grown into even another me. Every generation, you grow into a new you. You know, now I've gotten to a generation where uh, when I was your age, I would talk about things I did that young people do, going to the beach. And I was in that era. I was, I'm from the nightclub area. I'm from the Studio 54 era. I'm from the mm -hmm. drugs. I'm from the sex. I'm from the crazy people. And then the 80s, you, you, you turn a new leaf. And then the 90s, and you, you become a new person. Now we, Now we're... Older, you're thinking about things that older people do, uh, how mean you are. You think a little more about politics. and uh, mm. But being a comedian, you know, you just like doing jokes and playing jokes. And, what, what do you like about jokes as a format? You know, like why, like true jokes. You're like a true, true joke writer with begin, you know, like set up punchline jokes. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what that is. All I know what I like is about is happiness. I know as a kid, I would watch the TV shows, like I said, the the the, the Richard Pryors and the Red Foxes and the Johnny Carsons and the Ronnie Danielfields and the Moms Mableys and the Joan Rivers. I would watch them and I would take their jokes back to school and repeat the jokes, and the kids would laugh. And what I know about that is that laughter brings happiness. And I'm going, well, mm -hmm. I love this, so I decided that's what I'm going to do. All my life. And actually, at six years old, I knew I enjoyed making people happy. And to this day, when I see happy people, it makes me happier. And that is my sex and my drugs. So that's what I've always done. That's what I will always do. And when you love what you do, and you have a passion for something, um, I, I'm living my dream. Let's put it yeah. like that. So whether it be a joke, constructing a joke, or just saying something funny, comics Structure jokes. Comedians just says things funny. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm a combination of both. I try to do both. And uh, uh, now today I probably could talk just bullshitting for 15 minutes before I even get into a joke. I get in trouble a lot when I'm working today. I'm going, oh, my God, I, gotta, I only got 15 minutes to finish up the show and I haven't started yet. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking to people. I think I heard you say you, you don't have an act necessarily. You, you'll just go on stage and start talking, and you, you have maybe five hours' worth of jokes if you need them. Yes. But you'll just start. Yeah. So, so what I do is just have some fun. And um, uh, I don't even know how to explain this. I just love what I do. Yeah. So when I hit the stage, I'm in my element. I'm in heaven. When I go up those little steps, no matter how small the stage is at a, at a comedy club or how big the stage is at a concert hall or a stadium, I've, I've worked for 10 people. I've worked for 70,000 people. I just love it. And what is a joke? Talk to me about writing a joke. Um, 
Here's a joke that was not my first joke, but I'm in tune with what's happening in the world. If you say something stupid, it's pretty much like, that's funny to me. Yeah. You know, like the first time I got on the airplane and the man said to me, are you going all the way? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so you see where I'm coming from? Like, yeah. mo- people say to me, maybe I don't say things sometimes. I just, I can just look at you and you know, you just fucked up. So, so you're known for carrying around uh, a yellow legal pad. I think you and Jerry are the, the two legal pad comedians. Everyone else uses notebooks. <laughs> you put, you put, those for listening, he just pulls up the legal pad. So what does writing look like for you? What, is, what do you actually write down? How has your style evolved? First, you write down the sub- subject matter. Second, sometimes I write the subject matter and try to carry it and take it from that point and try to make it a joke. Seinfeld, he, to this day, will sit for an hour of each day with his yellow pad and write out the whole joke. That is the best way to do it. Now, the, you know, as you know, that's my best friend for 44 years. We started together 1976. Now, the difference in him and the reason we don't work together a lot, uh, do a lot together is because I like to give 100% of what I'm doing. Hmm. Well, that's not good enough for him. He's an idiot. <laughs> He's, he, he wants 110%, 110%. So hell with you, Jerry Seinfeld. I do it my way, you do it my way. He says things like, he goes on, he, George Wallace, he goes to be a great comedian. I took another path. I wanted to make a lot of money. So, <laughs> so he makes tons more money than we've done jobs together, actually. And he's made $100,000, and I got $25,000. <laughs> yeah. And I tell the people, there ain't no way in hell he's $75,000 funnier than me. There's just no way. We go out and do the jokes. He has... He's so good. He's so good what he does. And I'm good too. But it's just uh, how you do things. You know, he had the TV show, of course. So he puts the seats in the audience. Uh, he put the asses in the seats. I go out and I have fun. Yeah. You said you like your jokes to be A, B, 3, or 1, 2, C? That used to be my formula, my system. A, B, 3, yeah. or 1, 2, C with the twist. What? Set what? it up, substance twisted at the end. So that's pretty much what I do. I'm yeah. walking to the airport. People see me. Hey, Mr. Wallace, you in town? Yeah. Let me, let me, so I'm walking to the airport. I, did I miss a step there? Because my joke, I don't have to answer my jokes. Hey, Mr. Wallace, you in town? Yeah, <laughs> because ultimately a lot of your punchlines with the, the stupid stuff are pausing. Like I'm the pausing. audience. Yeah, because you want the audience to sort of like catch up with you. Like it's almost like you don't need to land it. It's not my joke. It's your joke. You figure the joke. You yeah. do the punchline in your head. You know, I will show that sign like in Las Vegas. You talk, if I talk to someone, no matter where they're from, I was there. I've been all over the world. I've been all over the world. And I just say, where are you from, Jesse? Long Island. You talk about some stupid people. You need to go out on Long Island. <laughs> They do stupid stuff out there, man. It's just crazy. And so I start that way, and now I'm not happy. Then yeah. I, where are you from? Uh, 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 Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Long Island, I said, you guys do stupid stuff. You need to go to Milwaukee. You talk about some stupid people. Now I've gotten <laughs> into a groove where everybody wants to know, what do we do? Well, how stupid are we? Birmingham, yeah. Alabama? Do you know, 
Do you know in Birmingham, Alabama, that you, first of all, you fly into the Birmingham International Airport? International. Now, let, let me tell you people something. The only thing international in Birmingham is the House of Pancakes. Let's get this shit straight right off the bat, okay? So now Birmingham is into it. Now everybody wants in on the joke. And sometimes as you get it, you didn't say anything about Cincinnati. <laughs> but I've just been everywhere. My first degree was in transportation. So I love cities. I study cities. And I've pretty much been to all of the cities. Let's just say I've been to 80% of the, the major cities in the world. Yeah. And so I can talk about anything. I know all the restaurants. I know what goes on. Uh, <laughs> churches, how people drive and how they do stupid stuff. Now, Tennessee, they probably, Tennessee, oh, my God. Let me tell you, Nashville, Tennessee, listen, it's observations. All you got to do is just listen. Yeah. I don't know what this is, AB3 or what. Nashville, Tennessee, now listen, all these churches cannot be the First Baptist Church. <laughs> Every fucking corner is the First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church, for all these, and one of them was brand new. How are you going to be the first Baptist church and you're brand new? And eventually I'll get on down to, how come you never see the last Baptist church? <laughs> so now I'm in a row. I'm in a row. I don't even have a show. Yeah. Probably, I'm just talking and I got my little notepads and I have to look at my notepads every night before I go out. I don't do the show. Even when I do a TV show, like I'm doing now, talking to you. I had no idea I'm going to be talking about this stuff. But I I get in a groove and something happens and it takes off. And the next thing you know, my hour and a half is gone. Do you remember when you started with the, the stupor stuff as like a frame? Do you remember when you had that as a like, where you landed on that and you're like, oh, this is a good way for me to tell all these different types of jokes? I don't. But I know my first catchphrase was, and it's coming back now, my first catchphrase was, it's a crazy world. Mm. It's a cra whole world is sick. So every time Jay Leno sees me, that's what he says. It's a crazy world. <laughs> and Seinfeld said, oh, you got to bring that back. You gotta bring it. It's a crazy because people are, everything is crazy now. Yeah. So I want to go through the jokes that we played in the clip and, um, and also talk about a little bit about the, the sets they were in. So the first set, I believe, was taken from your 2016 Just for Laughs. I believe it was sort of right after you finished your, your oh. first Vegas residency. In Canada, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. It seemed like um, it came at a time where you, you, you just did a residency for 10 years in Vegas. It was really successful, but you wanted to sort of like get back out there and reintroduce yourself and meet new comedians. Can you talk about this you know, that time period after you left the Flamingo and what you're hoping to do and what you're, why you sort of went to Just for Last that year? I went to, I wanted to do that because every year is a new year for me. I got to move on. I got to do new jokes. I got to move into a new, I had actually accomplished my goal. My goal yeah. was to work Las Vegas. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I accomplished my goal. And I, and I made a lot of money. And I didn't work. The difference in me and everybody else that works Las Vegas, I don't work for the hotels. I didn't work for the hotels. Yeah. Never worked for the hotels. I worked for me. I owned the room. I did something that nobody should. You got to be stupid to do. I four-walled the room. I rented the room. I had to pay the... I had 27 people working with me. I didn't even know who they were. Every now and then I see somebody walking. Who the hell is that up there walking up in the, up in the, the you know, backstage? You see all kind of crazy people. I'm your grip. I'm your, I'm your curtain guy. I'm your, you know, 
I didn't even know who they were. But I own I own the room, uh, and it costs a lot of money to do that. But yeah. I, I went there for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Next thing you know, I'm there for 10 years. So what a blessing. And I have to stop and thank the people in Las Vegas for letting me become a part of, commu- of their community. Even though they can do some stupid stuff to people that live in Las Vegas, they do stupid stuff. I was just talking about how hot it is. The heat is big in the brain. And it's just, you can just go on and on about Las Vegas. But your question was... Uh, Doing Montreal just for laughs. And it seemed like after that residency, you wanted to sort of get back out there and do do the, the clubs and also sort of just reintroduce yourself to the industry outside of Vegas. Outside of Las it. Vegas, yeah. So what happened was, and we do things together. A friend of mine, my best friend came on stage one night, closing. Well, he came to do a show. He said, hey, we've been here 10 years. We're out. We kind of manage each other. Yeah, yeah. We've been here 10 years, ladies and gentlemen. We're out. And so we had talked about it, and I meant I'm gone. Yeah. And uh, so we did quit, and we started reinvent the brand because I didn't have your generation yet. I had to go back and reinvent myself and introduce me to you. So that's what I did in Montreal. Every year I try to do this. Um, I, I do all of the new shows, the young TV shows, and, and I'm, I love, I'm on tour right now with people like DC Young Fly, all of these new young comedians from Wild and Out. Yeah. I'm out, I'm out uh, Amy Schumer. I'm out there with her. I'm out there with different people with different. I'm with Barry Sullivan with Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Barry's out. I go out there every now and with them. Because he can't follow me. I'm just. <laughs> but he's making more money than I am. No, but I, um, I love going out with the new kids in the new markets and doing new jokes and trying to keep it. Because I came up clean. You know, doing the Tonight Show, we didn't cuss or anything like that. Now I'm trying to, uh, I got on that stage with these young people and they got hip hop and and I'm hanging in there. And I, yeah. I go out to deliberately kick their ass. <laughs> but I want to see them do well also. And, and we work together. They jump on me because I'm the older man and I'm known for a thing called your mama jokes. They love to talk about my mama. Things like so. Every generation, now what were you talking about? Now we're talking about what's going on in America with uh, uh, our crisis we have now and politics and everybody's involved. So it's a new era now, what we're mm-hmm. all talking about, I don't, being, in, being incarcerated. I'm sitting here in Atlanta right now, 150 days, never been in one place that long in my life, sitting incarcerated. I'm doing things that I don't know. I'm eating stupid. I'm eating. Yesterday I had chicken and Cheerios. I'm doing shit I don't normally do, you know? Yeah. It, so there's different things to talk about right now. How are you living your life uh, uh, in, in, in 2020? Mm-hmm. See, because now we're here, we're dealing with anxiety. We're dealing with living uh, with the virus and with, with Black Lives Matter. We deal, it's a whole new situation, a whole new world. It's a crazy world. Crazy the world. whole world is sick. So we're back there. What so one of the one of the jokes in that set was about an Ethiopian restaurant, which I feel like it feels like it's an example of a joke that I've seen other people do, but I think you they were stealing your joke. Dude, don't you even say that, lady. Let me tell you something. You talking about the legal pad, right? Yeah. So I take the legal pad out. I said, uh, and I did it in Arsenio Hall in 1993. I used to do it everywhere. So I did the George Lopez show. I think about maybe. 
six years ago, and I took this pad out. I said, I'm going to do some jokes here. Might be funny, might not. I'm doing Letterman tomorrow night. I got to make sure this shit works. Man, I got calls from people going, you stole that from Dion Cole. Dion Cole does the bit with the, with the new jokes and trying them out. I'm going like, people are accusing me of stealing my own shit. These young comedians don't know, and I had to prove to them we had photos all over. And then, because I was defending myself. Marcelino said, don't defend yourself against these young kids. You got you started the stuff, and that's what I do. And uh, you go out and you do the jokes and you have fun with with a, with a pad. And, mm-hmm. and I, I forgot your question already. But, oh yeah, I'm just wondering if uh, that the Ethiopian restaurant joke. Do you remember when was that a one you've had for a while? You know, or do you that was probably up? new at that time in 2016. Oh, it was new because it was at the hotel. They were putting it in the hotel. Oh, and uh, and the, the brand new Ethiopian restaurant. At the, at the Venetian, I was talking about crazy people in Las Vegas. They're crazy at the Ethi- at the Venetian Hotel. They're just a, a brand new Ethiopian restaurant. And personally, I didn't even know they had food in Ethiopia. <laughs> so this is reminding people of the commercial that used to be on maybe three or four years earlier when we were donating uh, food and money to the country of Ethiopia. Yeah. Which is a joke you might be able to get uh, politically correct. You might be able to, you might get in some trouble doing that joke today. But my personality is, I don't give a shit. Generally, you say that, but I feel like generally your jokes are above board. I mean, like, so like the next joke I was going to bring up is you do a joke about gay marriage, right? They said, people say stupid shit and they're like, someone asked me about gay marriage. And then you say, the hell I live on 1602 Chestnut Street. If it ain't happened in my house... It ain't my goddamn business. It's, that's right. I don't give a shit. You marry who you want to marry. Now I've gotten really, I'm really into that now. I'm creating a show right now that um, I'm with Norman Lear and uh, Laverne Cox. If you know Laverne Cox from yes. uh, uh, the Orange, Orange is the New Black, Black. And, other, and other new things. So I wanted to put a TV show together since I got into TV with a friend of mine. and said, I like to do reboot uh, Siphon and Son. And so we went to Norman Lear. He took my meeting. He knows me. I've known him for years. And he's 97 years old. Why would he talk to me? But he did. He says, I want to reboot Sam. He said, hell with Sam and son. Do your own show. And so we went back and we talked about it. And a friend of mine has a, a, a son. Mm-hmm. And the son is, uh, from Trans- day one, is not transgendered, but transitioning, okay? Mm-hmm. And the kid says, I'm a boy, but I'm a, I, I am me. And he likes girl things. And so it just hit me, and I, and, and I said to my friend, you got to love the kid, I don't care what, because, you know, some parents have been crazy with that, right? And so it was going, uh, we were talking, I'm going, ah, holy shit, I got an idea. I want to reboot Sanford and Son. What if my son Sanford became 16 years old and went away to do his own thing and came back, knocked on the door, Dad, it's me. He's gone to New York, come back 31 years old. Me who? Are you Edwin's wife? Dad, it's me. Who the hell are you? Dad, it's me. I am Edwin. Slam the door in his damn face. Ding dong. So what happened there is my son has now transitioned into my daughter 
But what I liked about it is is educating America. So so the next set of uh, these jokes come from your your Vegas bootleg special. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about Vegas. Um, do you remember the first show you saw in Vegas, a comedy show you went to see? Oh, the first show I saw in Las Vegas, I went to see a guy named Dean, Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this was, comedy and music. When the moon hits you, I like a big pizza pie. That's a more. I went to see this guy. This guy was funny. I was sitting on the front row. For some reason, they put his drink on my table. He says, that's my drink. I'm like, give me my drink. A little drink of poo. I watched this guy on stage, dressed up in a tuxedo. Jesse, awesome. He didn't do shit for an hour, talking to people, singing. I said, oh, my God. That's what I got to do. Yeah, they're surgeons performing surgery on people. Just sitting there, you don't know what people. That's why they call me Doctor Wallace. What people are going through, and you can go in there and satisfy someone's thoughts, their yeah. their, their vibes, and you don't know what people. My job when I get on stage is to make you happy. I don't know you just lost your husband. I don't know you had surgery three years ago and this is your first time out. I don't know that you're you're going through financial troubles, but I do know that I'm making you feel better about now. Mm-hmm. And people, that's what we like. It's we make a lot of money, but it's not about the money. When someone comes up, to, when someone comes up to you after the shows, Mr. Wallace, I just want to thank you. I haven't laughed that long in, in years. I've been working. My 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 brother died. My wife died. You just brought joy to me, and it's that is so rewarding. For for, for these for jokes, you know, in this set you're doing, um, you're not gonna, you're you're not, I'm not going to let you get around to these jokes, am I? Go to the <laughs> jokes. You lead the show from now on. Go ahead, because okay. I talk a lot. Yes. So, like in in this set, you do a few jokes about the airport. Someone asks you if, if you're in the airport. Someone asks if you're going somewhere. You call Delta and you say you want to fly at twelve and I fly at noon. They say twelve noon or something like that. Are these? My I guess my question is: Are they based? These are not speaking? jokes. No. That's your. These are not jokes. These are He's, stupid things that people just say and happen. And then the take again. I need to fly to Atlanta around noon. And she says, "Is that twelve noon?" So, but my question, I guess, my question is: Are you how? I uh, how do I put this? So you you basically are you always observing? Are you like living your life? always looking or you know like i think that's the thing i've talked to jerry before and that was his he's always watching his life as opposed to sort of like being in it is that what always, it's like for you always we can't do anything you know he we still run the clubs together and uh at night always all day i talk to him every day we'll go to tomorrow we'll, we'll get, i'll get a joke out of him tonight simple things like i go to his house and he was telling me that's true what you say about my house when I go to his house on Long Island, I said, uh, his house is so big, when you punch in the, in the security code at the gate, Waze is still giving you direction to the house. <laughs> and he didn't even notice that because he has the, the, you know, the, the sensor that opens the gate, but he yeah. had to punch in the button of the night. And 2,000 feet, you will have reached your destination. So we take that, we make it into a joke, and, and uh, every day we're always, no matter what you say, 
even when he said to me years ago that he was going to build him a new house and he was going to build it from the ground up. And I had to tell him, you know, that's, that, that, that probably be the best way to start building that house from the ground up. You start with the roof. We're always looking for some little... Little thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, what it is. You, you have what... I, I compare it to the Spider-Man has the Spidey sense where he's like always he's aware when there's danger. But you're a type of comedian that has like, oh, this is a funny sense. But like for some comedians, like, oh, this makes me annoyed. So it's probably funny or this makes me angry. Do you know what it feels like when you know, oh, maybe there's something there? Yeah, because it's that's my job. That's what I do. Yeah. You're great at interviewing on radio. I I might be able to do that. I don't know. <laughs> but I know I can take a bit and 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 make it funny. Um, it, my life is so crazy. I'll watch a television commercial and try to make it funny. You know, a, a TV commercial like uh, "Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar." Okay. I bought seven. Okay, I put them in the in, in the freezer. Mm-hmm. I can't get that some of my bitch to click. <laughs> I can't hear. I can't. And I. And I go with anything like that. I'll just go try to make it funny. It's, yeah. it's, it, I just, all the commercials, what is it? You name a commercial, I've pretty much got a joke on it. So you're just, you're, you, that is how you process the world. You're living a world being like, how can I turn these things into jokes? Like, and that's like, it's like how I would see or hear something. You're just like, you are, how can I joke this? There thing? you go. How can I hear it? It's, it's like, like uh, uh, State Farm Insurance. And the lady coming out, Charles, they done burned down my she shed. The word she shed by itself is just funny, right? And then you see yeah. the little house in the back. Oh, what the hell is a she shed? They done burned down my she shed. State Farm Insurance. And the guy said, Victor's standing there with a little water hose. They burned down my she shed. So she shed is the funny word. And people, they can recognize the, yeah. uh, uh, the, the commercial. And, uh, and then you extend that when I get to Atlanta, Georgia, their largest arena here is called the State Farm Arena. But I don't say that. I go out and say, oh, it's so nice to be here. 19,000 people in this big ass she shed. <laughs> so, so you do anything. You look at Tide commercial. Tide actually said the other day that Tide is, 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 is 10 times stronger than it was uh, five years ago. So I'm going, yeah. well, last year I must have been using some real shit. <laughs> you know, this is double, the formula is double. I just take anything and just have fun with it. And, and so how, so it, that, that, that reminds me of in, in one of the jokes in this one, you talk about going to 7 Eleven and you list all the items you got. That is and you true. said, do you need a bag? And, it, and I true. saw you do the joke twice, the exact same list of things. Exactly. That is so true. And you go on it. And not only will that. Uh, I had a pint of haagen ice cream, a loaf of bread, three bananas, six Coca-Colas, Wall Street Journal, Moon by Honey Bond, and three bags of pork rinds. And the yeah. cashier says, you need a bag? You know, it's like the joke is you do the joke. The joke is, well, what the fuck did you think? Yeah. Well, you think I'm just going to walk out of here with all that? Do I need a bag? And the joke used to be, uh, no, I want you to help me tote this out to the car. Well, that has changed now. You know, do I need a bag? You, especially in California, if they won't give you a bag if you live in California. You walk out of the store, you're dropping tomatoes and onions and shit on the ground. People think you stole shit. So now you're extending the joke a little more. You know, I'm in line. I'm in line. I got, I got, I got all these items now. Do I need a bag? They don't give me a bag. I don't pay. 
Just leave it up on the leave it up on the counter. Don't need a bag. So what I do now, because I be thinking, yeah. when I go into the grocery store, I go straight to the produce section. They got plenty of bags over there. <laughs> so you just keep on building on it if you, you yes. just it's an active pursuit because you just sort of have it in your head and you're still playing around. And what's good about it, and when you work with guys like Seinfeld and Jerry, we'll go out and do the jokes in the clubs and all of a sudden, and add this on and do mm. this. Jerry was talking about old people the other day and how things that, that not the other day, and, and he put it in his last set in the special while old people can just be old and they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Sometimes they just look at you and just go. <laughs> See, just the way he said, try that. He did it and it works. So we go back and forth all the time. Uh, the comedians that love each other, we can tag each other's jokes. We can watch each other on the stage and you can be killing them. We will not laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're analyzing and rewriting and appreciating the formula. We see what we're doing here, the setup. And then like his big new thing is about, we're all here. We're all here. But the first thing we want to do, we, we got to get out. So that's so, he's so smart in some of these subject matters. Uh, I can't wait till this next show. Uh, that's all we're doing now is writing new jokes. And, yeah. And we can't wait to put them on stage when the time is coming. Um, ask me about some more jokes. How do yeah, I... this, this, this Vegas one also had one of my favorite examples of this, which is, I think uh, you asked for a hamburger, and they asked if you want cheese on that. that you, know, one, you, you, you know why you like that? Because it happens to you every day. <laughs> you pull into the drive-thru. I like how a hamburger, by my, you want cheese on that? Did I order a cheeseburger? I ordered a hamburger. And my good friend, comedian Chuck Martin, that rides around and goops off, goops off with us, he said, "Yeah." and I want ham on it. <laughs> so now you start noticing everything that people say when you go to a, a, a drive-thru. Uh, I did a joke once about I went to McDonald's, my total was $3.28. $2.78. I gave the kid $3 and three pennies and all hell broke. Loose. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's for older people. That's for people over yeah. over 40. So pay for cash. Paid for kid, kids cash. your age, kids your age, you think, I don't get it. Because you don't count like we used to count. I, I got you, it. You, what'd you say? You say, I got it. I got that joke. I used to pay for things with cash. Is that right? Uh, yeah. We'll be right back with more George Wallace. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. 
Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And we're back with George Wallace. So the next one, um, you do some of these at the WWE. You uh, you use the house joke, build a house upon against Jerry Lawler. Yeah, I did that, but yeah, I would switch it off on him like that, yeah. And that's what I would do with some of these jokes. Like, I used to do a joke about that. Um, George, w., George W. Bush has this country so fucked up, we'll never be unfucked. Then I did the joke about George Bush had this country so screwed up, we got people sneaking back into Mexico. Now I got to bring all that stuff and change it around, and I don't have to, but maybe I, I could use that with, with Trump. Yeah. It seems yeah. like you... But, you want your jokes to be evergreen in a way ooh, ooh. that I think. What did you? People... What did you hear that word? What did you hear that word? Evergreen. Where did I hear the word? One, I know it. Two, you bring it up in interviews, so I I know it's an ev- it's a word. Evergreen. When it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. So and I'm and I told Jerry the other night I, I my HBO special that I did in 1993 and some other thing I said you know what I'm gonna open for me. I'm going to be up on the screen opening for me when I was back in 1993. And then I'm going to come out and I'm going to do the same jokes that I did <laughs> with a different twist on them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you... going, and it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, they already paid to get in. I don't give a shit. That's my um, attitude. Yeah. The next set is from, I think it's from Ferguson. So you've done do- dozens of Tonight Shows, the most Arsenios, I believe. How do you anybody. approach how do you approach a late night set? What do you mean by that? How do I approach a late night set? Like, do you have, night? you know, I think there, you know, if how do you you have five minutes, which is different than let's say your normal hour change. So what yeah, do you yeah. so what when you're going into one of those shows, you're like, oh, I'm only gonna do five minutes. How do you plan for it? How do you what are your goals for it? What do you try to do? Is it the same thing where you just go and then you find you realize yeah. your time's up? No, you're actually really talking about hard work now, trying to put five minutes together. What am I going to say in five minutes? I'm going to talk about this subject. And you got to worry about a segue. How do I move in from this bit into this bit? So I'm driving down the street the other day, and I'm driving behind a lady, and I notice a license plate says C-U-T-I-P-I. C-U-T-I-P-I. You know, and it's like in Los Angeles. I think they call them vanity plates. I couldn't figure this out to say C-U-T. I said, well, let me and pull it. And it hit me. Cutie pie. <gasps> well, let me inch up a little bit and check her out. And I get up next to her and I said, damn, she must have stole this car. <laughs> so now you, you need to change that to moon pie or some other kind. But that's what a joke show. So you, so, okay, that's about 30 seconds. Now you put in it together and you and you get your segues together. Now you run up to the comedy and magic club and the comedy store and the laugh factory and you put these little jokes together and you know you got your ending. What do you want your your best joke at the ending to be? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's there for you. It's there for you. Your five minutes are there. And you pretty much you clock everything. We used to put everything on a, on a, on a tape. We still do listen, but you get pros. Um, like myself and some of the other guys, we pretty much know what five minutes is. Yeah, and five minutes can be like really quick sometimes. Just like shit, I gotta cut all this back. So that um, and so that's why in this set, 
it's like a bunch of fl- stupid stuff, but it's all flying related. So it's like, you're like, oh, let me think about what thematically will work so I can get a bunch of jokes that exactly. are all connected. Exactly. And what you want to get in and what's going on in Las Vegas. I was in Honolulu yesterday. Then you talk a little bit about Honolulu. I was in, I was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, the world's largest city in Jacksonville, Florida. And you just take off. No, the cr- I don't care where you've been, the stupidest people in the world, Florida. You cannot out stupid Florida. Florida is number one from day one. They've got people robbing McDonald's with alligators down there. They got people doing stupid shit. Florida, uh, 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 Tiger Woods got his ass whipped in Florida. You could just run through all yeah, of the yeah. things that happen in Florida. You know, Disney World, happiest place on earth. Now, you, I'm here in Las Vegas. You got to be 21 years old to lose money in Las Vegas in these casinos, don't you? Don't you? Disney World, Orlando, Florida, they don't give a shit how they will flat out rob you. How's the baby? Three years old? $125. Next. Let's go. Let's go. They just flat out rob you. Just uh, the happiest place on earth. The parking lot. Things people can identify with and associate with. You know, they got a million parking spaces, $25 to park. And the parking lot is in Tampa. That's how. (laughs) Do you, how do you, do you have a filing system or is it just all in your head? Do you have like, tens of thousands of jokes just in your head and you just sort of like can be like what i saw the notebook but how do you just know how do you we got both they're not chronic joan rivers kept a file yeah little little cards i have uh probably a hundred yellow pads yeah so the, the next clip is from uh deaf comedy jam and You've talked about you're you're a successful working comedian for well over a decade before Def Comedy Jam started, but you talked about even being a successful black comedian in the 80s, you were really were restricted in terms of language you can use and what you can talk about and how you can talk about it, especially on TV. What did Def Comedy Jam mean for you and mean for your comedy and, and comedy in general? Def Comedy Jam for me, not necessarily for me, but it was certainly a vehicle for the young people to come out and express themselves and being able to see, that was also what we might call uh, systemic racism back in the day because the black kids couldn't go into the comedy clubs and or that's even before rap music. Rap yeah. music is what is in the form of expression, saying what you want to say and what you think. So it was all the white clubs. They didn't want black comedian in the clubs. When I started, I just happened to be, uh, I played by the rules, me and Jimmy Walker and Byron Allen. And we did the clean comedy. That's why we did all of the television shows. Merv Griffin, Tonight Show, you name it. Leno, Letterman. And there still wasn't any black comedians doing it then. Yeah, Just the three of us. You know, you go to a comedy club, uh, you might see one young black comedian, but you're not going to see two. Not going to yeah. see two. So back in the day, uh, we played the games. I played the game, and but when Def Comedy Jam came out, um, and it was there's a club in Los Angeles called uh, the Community Act Theater. Michael Williams opened the club, mm-hmm. and he was trying to find some young black comedians, so he thought he'd audition um, uh, a few comedians. And then the comedians had seen me on TV, and Jimmy Walker and a few others. These young black kids going like, "I want to do that too," and sure enough, that club took off like crazy. And they were expressing their them, themselves in their own way, their own language, and uh, and at the time I was kind of like from Bill Cosby, why you got to do all that cussing? Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. But you do what you want to do. Now I'm I'm at the bit now why it's time to it's time to cuss, <laughs> it's time to cuss, 
I, I I've gotten a bit where in it I got to I got to clean stuff mixed in with this things like at church we have a thing in our church called communion. Are you Catholic or anything? You know what communion is in the church. I know what it is. Well, now we have a little. They they combine the the the, the the little wine glass and the wafer together, and it's combined on a little plastic container. And, the, and you can't get it open in time for you to wine and drink. And I said, in my black church, we got little old ladies in white dresses at 80 years old trying to open it going, this is some bullshit right here. Cussing, cussing in church, this is some bullshit. So now it's time to cuss. And now I get to the point where I, I just, uh, every now and then I, want, I, I can say a word. Even though I'm pretty much still considered a clean community. I can yeah. work any, let's put it like this, I can work any audience. I'll never go crazy with a, with a, uh, blue language, but it's funny. Yeah. Funny is funny. I don't give a shit. Nobody did it better than Richard Pryor, and I love Bernie Mac. You know, don't, don't, don't tell me what the fuck to do. Uh, it's just, it's funny is funny, and I tell all yeah. the young kids just make sure you know you, just be you, and it doesn't matter what you do. There's a market for everybody out there. Sam Kennison started. Nobody liked him. They had no idea what the hell he was talking about or what he was doing. They thought he was a devil, but what? He got his own audience. Yeah. Just be you. Stick to you. Do you. There's a market for everybody out there. And I'm also teaching the young comedians, don't worry about trying to be number one, trying to be on the top of the mountain. Just be on your way up the mountain. There's a lot of problems with everybody trying to be number one. And you can, everybody can't be number one. And I think ladies have a tougher job than anybody. They only let one lady reign at a time, even to mm -hmm. this day. To, to get back to these the stupid jokes, um, in the Def Jam set, you do your crazy uncle, the, the uncle who answers uncle his question. Yeah. How did, how did that, a, those jokes start? It was not a joke. I just started saying well, how did, yeah. Everybody's how got a crazy uncle in the family he's just talking about, and I'm just going like, I've got an uncle. Well, ask your question and answer it at the same time. Ask, and people do it all the time. And you're going to do it when you finish this conversation. You're going to ask somebody a question, and you're going to answer it. You're going to answer it. It's going to yeah. be just that, just that simple. Who are you talking to, Ma? Yeah, it's just that simple. What's your mama cooking, chicken? Uh, where are you guys going to the movies? Where are we going out tonight? Joe's? But my uncle would have to run, you know? Yeah. What are you kids doing at home? Ain't no school today? Why are you not talking? <laughs> Cat got your tongue? Why it's so hot in here? Y'all got the heat on? Why are you walking like that, boy? Your feet hurt? So I used to run all of those. I, I pretty yeah. much forgot them, but I can do them, and and, and people love it. Yeah, because it's, it's it captures a certain sort of uncle-ness, the uncle inside of all of us. Inside of all of us. But the stupid thing, and then you would walk out going, I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking. I heard, I, you know what? I'd be thinking if somebody says something stupid. I'd be thinking, what if we did such and such? I'd be thinking, what if we were to go here? Then yeah. you pick up that thing. I'll be thinking. Um, so the last set was from the the HBO special that you you were mentioned, and there's so many of the great great ones on these. I'll run through any of them. You can tell me if you remember them. There's a the saying that never kick a man when he's down, and you're like, why? That's, That's <laughs> uh, isn't that amazing? People never kick a man when he's down. Why? You should put your foot in his ass all the way up his ass. That's the best time to kick. No, don't, don't kick him when he's down. He might get up and whoop your ass. People say stupid shit. Another friend said something similar to that. Said my friend told me that he got in a fight. He's not sure whether he got his ass kicked or not. I said, um, 
Let me tell you something. If you get in a fight and the ambulance comes and the policeman comes, if the ambulance comes over to you and the policeman goes over to the other guy, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> you got, you know you got your ass kicked if there's a shoe missing and there's a sock up your ass, you pretty much got your ass kicked. I can't even remember these, but that's, yeah. that's how you start. Uh, people saying and doing stupid things. What else is similar uh... to that? One the really one of them is uh, the untimely death. People say he is an untimely death. I was I was telling you about reviving and re uh, re-entering a joke. A man on an airplane, he had crashed. He had an untimely death. When is a good time to die? Yeah. I want to hear something like Mitch McConnell died today, and it's about <laughs> goddamn time. You see, how I switched that around. Back in the day, it was uh, some older guy, but now uh, I'm look Jesse at Helms or something. Jesse Helms died today. It's about goddamn time. Now, <laughs> now you got these guys doing stupid things. I'm, I'm on um, Lindsey Graham's ass, and then yeah, I'm into a lot of politics now too. So yeah, there's um, there's the you talk about your parents. And the stupid stuff your parents did, and they said you get learn how to act. Go, come, go to your room and learn how to act. And then you that actually thing. was that was a real good joke back in. Uh, that was a real good joke back in nineteen. I guess that was should have been probably the eighties or something like that. My, mom, my mom used to say stupid stuff. You go up to your room and you stay there until you learn how to act. I'm in my room to be or not to be. Now, see, that was a three right there. That was a three or a C. That was a, that, I got to the punchline really quick because people don't know where I'm going with that. You know, you go up there until you learn how to act. I'm in my room. To be, all of a sudden I become an actor, you know, not yeah. to be. What do you like about that joke? It seems like you really like. I like the, that twitch in your, that, that, that thought process, that quick snap in your head, your change of um, your pattern, your thought pattern, where I mm -hmm. went in a different direction. It was a switch yeah. there and a different You're thinking one way. So if somebody tell you, go to your room till you stay there, you stay there till you learn how to act. That just means go up there and behave and just sit around. Yeah. But not the person's me. not ready. You make that see you go to the jump and they're not ready. The audience is not expecting it, right? A lot of these you like them sort of catching up, but that one they don't know where you're going. They have no idea where it's coming from. Learn how to act. How are you gonna learn how to act upstairs? And my friend you my friend said to me. George Wallace, you didn't even have an upstairs. I said, I'm just making up shit. Go along with it, okay? <laughs> there, there's a a lot of there's a few jokes about your mom in or about a mother in here, and they, they are borderline yo mama jokes. A form you are the one time master of. I, I want to take take a time. Can you tell me the secrets to a great yo mama joke? I don't know. I just you just put things in. Right now I'm doing listen. Right now I'm doing a bit. A friend of mine, his name is J. Anthony Brown. Very, very popular on the Steve Harvey Morning Show. They eat my ass up. They talk about my mama every morning. Millions of people on the Steve Harvey. Every morning they talk about my mama. So I talk about his mama because I go out. I'm doing some Christmas shopping for her, mm -hmm. and uh, and I go over to uh, Home Depot and I get a I bought a weed whacker so she could cut the hair off that mold around her. Uh, <laughs> On her face. So here's the new one. When I was talking about his mom, I said, and I went. I was shopping for her, and I thought about it. Uh, 
Now, here's a joke. Here's a new joke I did. Since we had the COVID testing, and when, when we first when it first hit us in February, we didn't have enough testing centers. So she decided to go into her own business with testing centers. So what she would do, you just pull up to her, it's a drive-through, right? Right? Mm-hmm. His mom is so fat. You just pull up, she heist her dress, she lift her dress up, you pull underneath her dress. It's kind of like being at a car wash. And you're like, clink, 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 clink. And all of a sudden, she'll spray. You go, shh. She, she'll, there'll be a spray on you. It's kind of sticky, but it's clink, 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 clink. It's like a car wash. And you, psh, there's a mist that come all over your car. And, and it's kind of like you, you think you might be at Checkers or, or Rally's restaurant. She's got two lanes, one going in either direction. And you hear the clink, clink, psh, psh. But she's very smart at what she's doing. She's got like 10 in every city. She's got one in Houston, Atlanta, Cleveland, all over the way. And she's a great marketing. His mom, she's such a great marketer. She likes to put her testing stations next to um, the sporting goods station. And sporting goods store is big, pretty big. It's, it's um, uh, is it Rick's? Rick's, his mom, she loves, is a sporting goods store. Is it Rick's? What's the name of the store? Dick's. 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 That's it, the one. Dick's. She loved Dick's. Oh, <laughs> she loved it. Oh, my God. If you ever wanted to, she, she loved to hang out at Dick's. Oh, my goodness. If you go there, she just, oh. And if you can't make the drive-through, she's got, you, you need a mask, she's got her own underwear. You put her mask on. Whatever you got, just wipes it away immediately. Just, but it's always next to Dick's. She loved Dick's. That's all you got to do. The one thing I think defines all these errors is there's just like such a, a joy you convey to the audience. You know, do you remember, when did you realize like if you're having fun, the audience is having fun? Why is it important to your comedy to convey that? As I said before, comedy is my sex, comedy is my drugs, it's everything. There's nothing better than being uh, happy. Laugh yeah. it off. Keep laughter in your life. When you stop laughing, you, you stop living. When you stop laughing, when, you know, we actually, I'm looking for something right now. I wrote a book. We don't stop laughing because we grow older, but we do grow older because we stop laughing. Laughing is the best medicine in the world. I just left my doctor's office today. We just laugh like hell. My doctor today, um, he loves when I come in. And I asked him today, everything was uh, okay. He said, oh, nothing, nothing's wrong. I said, well, uh, if nothing's wrong, that's, that's, you didn't find nothing. That's what I'm paying you, nothing. You, 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 we just keep laughing. I had some of my doctors send your patients down to my show in Las Vegas for some laughter. Give them mm-hmm. that prescription. And he did it, and people felt better. I, um, it's funny you bring up your book. I wanted to ask you about a small section of the book where you explain how this happiness drive was there before you even started doing comedy. And you, you talk about losing your mother at, at, at six and your dad, I believe, two years later. Um, 16 and 18. Yeah, my 16, mother. Yeah, sorry, 16 and 18. Um, I, I was going to read from a section, but since you have the book in front of you, I, I wonder if you would be able to read from it. I can tell you where in the book it is. I want you to read it. I tell you what, the, the best line in the book is page 62, but I want you to do your reading. Sure. I was so, you, okay. so there's a part where you... So you're, you're talking about that you're, you're losing your, your parents. And you say, uh, 
And you talk about making jokes around it. And you say, call it a sickness or a blessing, but my brain searches for the lighter side. It's not just because that's how I make a living. I've been that way as long as I can remember. Through thick and thin, I, I laugh it off, and it's done wonders in my life. I hope you folks find some value in this message. It happened for me. It could happen for you. So, so my parents were great folks who left this world too soon, no doubt. That was a tough time. I have been dealt a hand that was worse than a lot of folks, but still better than some. I proceeded with a, I proceeded with a belief in better times ahead and faith in the man upstairs would take care of me. That's all my, you need to know. What a great life. What a great blessing to have been blessed with the greatest parents in the world. Like living, my mother left me at 16 years old, but she had taught me everything. Yeah. How to enjoy life. And she, the last thing she said to me as she was leaving, I'm going, baby, I'm going to the hospital. I won't be back. But don't you worry about a thing your life is taken care of. I didn't know what she was talking about, but maybe she did. And my yeah. parents, my dad, and in my house, it was always about happiness. It was always <laughs> about happiness. Even my dad. My dad was, um, uh, he would just do stupid stuff to make you, you know, he'd do little stupid stuff. Like he would just come up to you sometime and say, I live up here, you live down there. Come up to see me sometime. That would piss me off. That would piss me off just to see him do things like that. And if sometime he had to like set you straight and piss you off, and then he'll look at you and say, give me a little smile. Mm -hmm. Come on, come on, come on, give me a little smile. Oh God, that just like. (laughs) (laughs) One one thing that, one place where you, you you seem to really embrace just do it, saying stupid stuff, saying silly stuff is on Twitter. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Twitter. Okay. Because I don't think I'm the, the I'm definitely not the only person. There's many reputable publications that have talked to you about you're, you're the best person on it. You're my, my personal favorite. What made you join it and approach it the way you have? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And I have to work with my assistant sometime to cut it down to my 140 characters because sometimes I tend to write, my Twitter is completely different than my, than my comedy, because I'm different, you know, I'm a rebel. Yeah. I just do things differently, you know, you know especially growing, growing up as a poor kid. You know, when I was a kid, my dog only had one rabies. Like, so you don't understand about being poor. We had a choice, we could only watch law or order, we couldn't, we never knew there was a son. We could, well, I was poor. We just had Sanford, okay? Because I do stupid shit. Yeah, so you, I want to ask you about some of your f- recent tweets and if you remember what made you do it. Like, so you, as you mentioned, you, you, you recently tweeted, grew up so poor we can only watch Law or Order. Yeah. How, does, how did that come to you? They're like, let me write that down. That's that's like when I grew up with saying people said we were so poor we couldn't even afford the old and you just thought you you only on on the second old we were poor we weren't yeah. poor so you just start off with little things like that and they start to click in your head and then you start to think about other things people say like I'm a rebel I don't play by the rules I do you know I'll drink a half a glass of whole milk and a whole glass of half and half I don't give a shit. A so lady told you're... me, and a lady told me, see, now these are not funny. What I do is not funny. The replies are funny. Mm-hmm. A lady told me in the audience, Mr. Wallace, you say you drink a half a glass of whole milk and a whole glass of half and a half. You may not give a shit, but you're going to take one. <laughs> so so you start, that's what it gets good. 
I yes. did, shout out to the top five pans. I did Peter Pan. I did Pandemic. I did uh, Flash Out of a Pan. I did, uh, 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 give me another pan, whatever it is. One of my replies came back. How about Mugu Guy? Oh, that stuff, that, that throws me for a loop when, when people, the replies so, are just so like, great. This week, I think you tweeted, I'll straight up check my mic at the coat check and check my check coat it. during a mic check. I don't really, I don't give a shit anymore. Do you remember oh, how yeah, that oh, came to you? It's just things, that's my job now is to sit back and put things together like that. Yeah. You know, like the cowboys, then they're going to make a choice. When the shit goes down between the cow and the boys, somebody have to make a decision who you with here. I, just, I don't give a shit anymore. I'll drink, a, I'll eat pancakes out of a cup and cupcakes out of a pan. I don't give a shit, okay? I'll and, eat French toast in London and an English muffin in France. I don't play by the rules. I don't give a shit. I'll take a refrigerator magnet and put it right on the oven. I don't give a shit. I don't play by the rules. Um, how did you land on doing the top fives? Recently, you did a shout out to top five foots in the world, big lucky rabbits, shooting yourself in the athletes in my left. How did you land on that format? I don't know. I just grew into them. I just grew into them. Okay, let's stick with this for a while. Top five words. Top five uh, uh I'll get into something else. I don't give a shit. What is it? I got the book here ready to go. Uh, I'll straight up iron a book. Uh, I'll straight up iron on a boogie board and I'll boogie on an ironing board. See, that's some shit right there. I don't, <laughs> you know, the book is about eight months old. I don't know what I'm doing, right? So yeah. it's it's all good. What is it? Uh, I'll straight up hand someone a guidebook and, and guide someone to with a handbook. So it just, I don't even know what I'm saying sometimes. I don't even know whether they're funny sometimes. I just, let's do them. Do you feel like if a person only, if they only read your tweets, do you feel like they're getting a a specific sample of who you are as a comedian? Like, do you feel like you have a new set of fans who who still are getting the George Wallace experience? Like, do you feel like this is do you though they're ramblings and they're they're stupid? Do you feel like it's representative of you? Yes, it's a new set of fans that sing a different side of George Wallace. If they were to come to the show, they might go like. I might do some tweets, might not, um, but they, it's, it's trying to make something funny in a fo- 140 characters is different. Yeah. And then you pick up another sense of humor, you know, it's, 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 what, what I got here, just saying baby corn is going to have to pick a side when the shit goes down between the babies and the corn. Okay, let's go over here. Let's just keep going there. Uh, uh, what I got down here is just, just, I will not be signing with the Atlanta Hawks this year uh, because uh, it's a, a, a different interest or something like that. Well, not, so I, I respect, I would respect my, my time of difficulty. <laughs> I just, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. There's and, one and you... I, I wanted to ask you about one that you did recently, which was, it wasn't necessarily even a joke. It was a sort of a nice thing you tweeted, which is, not sure who needs this right now, but you are wonderful and you are loved and you're the only you in this entire world and whatnot. Because people need love right now. People are going yeah. through a lot of things now um, with the anxiety, what's going on in the world and people living alone and uh, being uh, quarantined. So always remember, you are you, you are loved, and thank you for being you. And thank you for putting smiles on people's face. As in the book, page 62, honor your essence. 
Yeah. Honor your essence. Show people you love what you do. And when you love what you do, the money will come. Don't worry about it. When you love what you do, the money will come. Do you have a favorite joke of yours or a best joke or a joke that you imagine you'd want printed in, uh, you know, some <laughs> obituary to be morbid or you want on your Wikipedia page of like, this is the George Wallace joke? I don't know. I'm doing a joke right now about people saying stupid stuff. I heard a lady on TV the other day said, she said, I feel comfortable in my own skin. Well, you, like you had a choice, like you, you, you never tried anybody else's skin. Said I, 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 you don't know. Hell, I know I feel much better than Jeff Bezos' skin. I'm pretty sure of that. I so feel always, real, yeah, the, I feel the, real good in Oprah's skin. Then I, then I get to the line and I I feel good in, I feel good in Al Sharpton's skin. It's gonna be a little tight, but <laughs> it's gonna. Then I do a joke with him. And then I'm going, my favorite joke right now is probably, um, oh, God, Jesus, it's about, uh, I can't even think of the joke now. Al Sharpton had a joke. Oh, he's getting rid of the, Al Sharpton's church, they're getting rid of the N-word. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not good to use the N-word, and I talk about it. Uh, uh and we should stop using that. I said, but I'm old enough to know the N-word was here when I got here, and it's going to be here when I leave. I said, so Al Sharpton, they had a funeral for the N-word. They put the N-word in the coffin. They took it in the church. They sang over it, and they closed the coffin with the N-word in it. And they took the N-word in the coffin down to the cemetery, and they buried the N-word. They buried the N-word. But on that third day, <laughs> and then we go into a little church. Then N word got up, so it's the, that's that, that joke is killing right now. So your so your it's almost like your favorite joke is your newest joke, or the newest joke that's doing well is the joke. Yeah, that you yeah, think yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's my favorite joke. <laughs> That sound means it's time for a final segment. It's a, a laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but it's laughing because this is a, a comedy interview show. Okay. Do you have a, a favorite street joke, like a joke joke? Yeah, I mean, just Senator Schumer told it on uh, on Seinfeld the other night about <laughs> about the uh, the guy stole the can of peas too. Senator Schumer did one of my favorite jokes, but my other favorite joke is a guy, a little boy, turned sixteen years old. And he went to his dad and said, Dad, I turned 16 today. Joke, joke. Mm -hmm. And his dad was a minister. He said, Dad, I like to use the family car. His dad said, Son, I know you want to use the family car, but I think we, we have other priorities. He says, Number one, you turn 16, you want to use the car. He says, Number one, you need to improve your grades. Son, number two, me being a minister, it'd be nice if you were to start reading the Bible. That'd be very nice. Son number three, you need to get a haircut. So six months went by, the little boy came back to his dad and said, Dad, I love you. I try to obey you, do everything you ask me to do. So you asked me to improve my grades, Dad. It took a long time, a lot of work, stayed up late at night. But, Dad, here's my report card. And, Dad, I want to thank you for that, Daddy. Thank you so much for that. 
Dad, you being a minister, asking me and making me read that Bible, I want to thank you for that too, Daddy. Thank you so much, Daddy. Because, Daddy, you know, when I read that Bible, do you know I read that um, uh, Samson had long hair? Thank you, Daddy. He said, Dad, I continued to read the Bible even more. I read that even Moses had long hair. Thank you, Daddy. Daddy, you know what? Because of you, I read the whole Bible, and even Jesus had long hair. And his dad looked at him and said, and if you notice now, everywhere they went, they walked. <laughs> joke, joke. Yeah, that's it. I yeah. really didn't know where this was going. That was great. Do you have a like a comedian's joke that you wish uh, you could steal or wish that you could do that it's part of your act. It's not like you'd stolen it, but it's it's a world in which you had this joke. It's a, a joke that you saw someone else do that you're like, oh, I wish I thought of that. Oh, uh, you know, that uh, is a joke that I tell people talking about Richard Pryor, and I don't even know whether it's his joke or not. I don't think it is, but it is a, such a good joke. It's uh, He does it. He was talking about the two black guys uh, in San Francisco, and they were friends, and they was talking about who had the biggest member, the biggest tallywhacker. And they were bragging. They didn't want, they weren't no freaks or anything like that, but they had to prove to themselves who had the biggest penis. And so they went up on the Golden Gate Bridge. They was up there, and one of the brothers took his tallywhack out and over the, hung it over the bridge. He said, Ooh, this water's cold. <laughs> and the audience goes crazy. And then the switch comes in, the sea of the three. Yeah. And the other brother said, yeah, and it's deep, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was so good. Such a, I, said, I think that was, a, 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 that was not an original Richard Pryor joke, but yeah. he told it so well. It's cold off the bridge, and it's deep, too. That's a great joke that everybody uh, loves. And sometimes I do that with the audience. I'll just do the first part and say, this water's cold. And the audience said, do you really know Richard Pryor? Yeah, we know him. You know everything? I said, okay, the water's cold. And the whole audience go, and it's deep, too. Um, do you have a favorite joke of Jerry's? Oh, my God. I like it. I like it. Uh, we're out. We're out. We got to get out. We got to get out. Let's go out. Uh, that's good. My God, he does so many good things. Oh, my God. This guy has slew material with the old people getting old. He doesn't like go to weddings anymore. I even have a version of that. Uh, that's amazing. You ask, he's going to kill me. He's gonna, I'm going to call him as soon as I, as, as soon as I finish talking to you. I'm going, I don't know if my favorite joke of yours. Uh, do you remember uh, the first joke you saw him do that you're like, that's good? Yeah, he was talking about something about the economy. It's kind of like a roller coaster. And the roller coaster is like it, it was in, I think the roller coaster was in Harlem. And you go up and you come down and you go, whoa! <laughs> and you go, whoa! And you get in the community at the time. This is back in 1976 yeah. when he first started. Yeah. Uh, the roller coaster of life or something. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. 40 years of friendship and I can't tell you his best joke. I'm so busy talking about him yeah. that I don't talk about his jokes. You know, I talk about he and and how rich people. Uh, I'm playing uh, pool with him and uh, no ping pong. Yeah, ping pong. And eventually, when you play ping pong, eventually the ball goes straight. 
Always, right? So my ball goes astray. I go to get it. Don't go get it. Don't go get it. He turns around. He's got a crystal bowl with 200 ping pong balls in it. Click, 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 click. Now, don't go get it. 200. Who in the hell has 200 ping pong balls? Every house you know has, what, two? Maybe three is the limit, right? Mm -hmm. No house has more than, something is, I don't know, look, I don't know what's going on in this house. I don't know where these balls go. Another room, I don't know anything. These people are so rich. I got up one morning at three o'clock. I went to pee. I came back. My bed was made and shit. I don't know what's going on in there. And, and a chocolate on my pillow. So I'm so busy. I'm so busy talking about him. I forget about his jokes. Yeah, that's fine. Um, do you have any pre-show pre -show rituals or post-show rituals for when you're doing stand-up? I like to listen to gospel music before I go on. I love to do gospel music and... Uh, and I listen to God, and they have it on for me every night, my assistants, everybody upstairs. Um, so I play that music. I'm already in a good mood when I hit the stage. Whether you like it or not, I'm ready to go. And people, laughter is contagious. They are not going to let you have fun by yourself. Yeah. Uh, do, you, uh, this, um, do you have a joke that has never worked or a joke that you tried for a really long time, but you couldn't get the response you wanted to. You kept on trying. Maybe you gave it up, but I didn't give it up. I didn't give it up. I'm still going to do it. Still trying to make it work. The Christian science, the Christian science reading room. Anybody ever go in there? What the hell is going in there? What are they reading in there? Are the Christians, are they adding new arms to your body or some kind of prosthetic? What is going on in the Christian science reading room? Never got anything out of it. And I'll still. <laughs> and you'll keep on working until you can get something. One day it's going to slide in and go, that's where that joke goes. The Christian science reading room. Nobody going in, nobody coming out. Um, that's it. That's the interview. That's all the questions I got. Thank you so, so much for doing this. this well, listen, I don't honor. know. I had a good time with you. I want to thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you. And, uh, I just love to talk. I could talk forever. But yet, it's an honor to be with you today. I like you. Thank you. You need to know something good is going to happen to you, whether you like it or not. I'm George Wallace. I love you. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Thank you so much. Love you too, George. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can listen to George Wallace's albums wherever you listen to music. You can buy his book, Laugh It Off, wherever books are sold. Follow George on social media, and I really recommend you do, at Mr. George Wallace. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Anna Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Gotham Shrikachin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with a new comedian and a new joke. Have a good one.